0: You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Listen, Skip the Small Talk has been a series on prayer, and we've been trying to skip all the small talk and fill it with real talk about prayer, and today is gonna be no exception. But let me review a little bit of where we've been before we launch into where we're going. If you've been with us these last number of weeks, you've certainly heard us say on more than one occasion that prayer is primarily, it's a relationship tool, it is primarily about a relationship. It's primarily about a relationship with God. The goal of this series was not to help you get your prayers answered. It wasn't to help you unburden yourself, although prayer does incredible things there. But that is not the end game. That's not the end goal. The end game and the goal is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's primarily a relational tool that God has created so that we, you and I can go deeper in our relationship with Jesus. It's a conversation. It is a talking to God and conversing and communicating and listening. Because communication is also listening, right? Yeah, somebody's <laughs> elbowing someone right now. When you're, you're, Communication is also listening. So the goal is Jesus. Uh, here's what I've noticed over the years as a pastor. Some people who want to have a closer relationship with Jesus, but what they end up doing is something that I saw in elementary school. I, I don't know if you're in elementary school or maybe junior high, and someone thought someone was cute in the class, and they'd write a note and they pass it to their friend, and their friend would take it over at recess to this guy or this girl and say, so-and-so likes you, and they read the note, and they write something, and then it goes back to some... you ever see that? Yeah, I was never that popular to actually have that happen to me, but I did see it happen. And the notes would get passed, and some people build a relationship of communication with God by note passing. They get somebody else to pray for them. They come to someone else and say, hey, could you pray to God about this? And they're passing notes between them and God instead of going to God directly. If you see the truth of Scripture, it's pretty powerful. You can. You can. I don't care who you are. You can talk to God. You can actually have FaceTime with God. You can talk directly to him. You don't have to have a go-between anymore. And this idea of communication and deepening our relationship with Jesus is so central. That's why the Apostle Paul would say things in the Bible that when I was younger, I thought, like, that's crazy. He'd say things like this, pray without ceasing. My literal mind would go like this, like, how do you do that? (laughs) Lock yourself in a room, never socialize, pray all the time, you don't eat. How do you pray without ceasing? But what Paul was saying is really this. Hey, don't stop communicating with God. Because communication deepens your relationship with him. You know what it's like in any earthly relationship. Any relationship you have in your life. If you stop communicating, what happens? Well, you sabotage the relationship. It begins to suffer. It begins to break apart. It stagnates. Here's the thing, though. Some people think prayer is you got to get a whole new language. you got to dress yourself up different. This is what the Bible teaches about prayer. Prayer is this fact, and this is the fact about you and God. And if you're brand new here, I'm glad you're here, but you need to know this. God wants you. God wants you just the way you are. He wants us to come to Him, not the prom version of us, all dressed up and looking nothing like ourselves. He wants you just being yourself. When you talk to Him, you talk in the same way you talk to others. There's the same rhythm. He wants you just as you are. See, in a world that only wants the filtered version of you, the dressed-up version of you, here comes God and He says, No, I want the real you. I want the real you. And we get to, through prayer, through prayer, Build this relationship with God through conversation. Now, we learned this a few weeks ago, but I don't care what relationship you have in life. If you're struggling with a relationship with a child or with a spouse or a colleague at work or, or a friend at school, these things and the content of this conversation, it'll fix that one. But it also is primary and important to deepening our relationship with God. We deal, dealt with this in week one. Adoration. Every healthy relationship has adoration. The, you know, the short of adoration is adore. So basically, you, a colleague at work, listen, it's at some point you're expressing, hey, you're a great guy. Yeah, I, I, I like you. Or, or to, to someone that's even closer, like, you know, I love spending time with you. You're, you're awesome. And there's elements of adoration in healthy relationships where you express that. Now, it's not that you feel it, Right? It's like I've met people over the years. Well, she knows I love her. I feel it. But if you don't express it, I'll, I'll leave it right there. So adoration is important. It's key. It's, in a relationship with God, it's talking to him and saying, God, you're awesome. You're amazing. It's key to this. The second one is confession. Confession. Confession confession is beautiful. In the relationship with God, it's simply this. You and I were designed to have a relationship in this life where you didn't need to hide. You didn't need to hide the real you. You could come with the worst versions of you, and you could confess, God, I need you. God, forgive me. And God doesn't turn his back on us. Instead, God walks towards us because there's openness in this relationship. You're open about who you are with him. You're not trying to hide. You're not giving him a filtered version. This is who I am. I don't want to remain who I am. I want to change, but I need your grace. We were designed to hunger for grace. I think a lot of relationships and marriages suffer because they're looking to their spouse to provide what only God can provide. God is the only one that can provide that safe of a place Where you can truly confess your need, your brokenness, your wantonness, your sinfulness. So adoration, confession, then thanksgiving. I think this is the mark of a mature relationship. You know, when you're younger, you're not always thankful for the things that your parents provide, are you? You know, meals kind of show up on the table, right? And nobody's sitting there going like, oh, mom, thanks for the meal. Or thanks, dad, for working all day and coming home and making the meal. It's like the, the wife who asked her husband, uh, would you like some supper? And he says, well, what's on the menu? She said, yes and no. <laughs> yes, you want supper or no, you don't, because that's all that's on the menu, right? Sometimes uh, you know a relationship is maturing and deepening when you're recognizing and you're expressing Gratitude. It changes. You're moving from immaturity to maturity. So in, with God, it's simply this. We're, we, in this conversation with God, at some point, we're expressing thanks. We're saying, God, you know, you do so many amazing things for me, half of which I never know and never see. But the stuff I do know and see, I'm going to thank you for it. And when you do this, you get to this last one, supply. See, when you're in a deep relationship with someone, you don't hesitate to ask. Hey, could you? Hey, would you mind? Because it's been built into the relationship. And two weeks ago, we learned it's not too late to ask God for help. It's not too late to ask God for healing. It's not too late to ask God. Instead, we're encouraged to ask God. Now, it is interesting when you read the Bible, you'll read things like this. The Apostle Paul will say to a church in Philippi, he said, listen, go ahead and ask, but ask with thanksgiving. Apparently, these are all connected. Now, okay, I I told you, it's going to be real talk today, right? Not small talk. Everybody's getting nervous. Now, don't get too nervous. Okay, here's the thing, though. Many of us, when it comes to our relationship-building peace-towards-God prayer, we spend time with these two, confession and supply. So we come to God when we need something, or we come to God when we've done something. You know, not with everything we've done, but the stuff that really is hurting our lives. We made our life a mess. We've made some decisions we know are a mess and we want out of it. And somehow we feel better coming to God and say, God, I know I I did this, forgive me. And and that's all good. I'll tell you in a minute why. But I want to ask you, if you were in a relationship with someone that only called you when they needed something or they needed to confess something, Would you be in a relationship with that person? Everybody's quiet. Have you, okay, side note, have you ever been in a relationship with someone like that? The only time they ever seem to call? Email is when you know they're gonna ask for something? I like it too, because when they know that they're like that, sometimes they'll precursor it, like, hey, how's the family? Hope you're doing well and stuff, and I already know, just get to the bottom line, I know where this is going. (laughs) By the way, (laughs) You got a spare amount of money or whatever. What, what would they, Well, listen, a lesser person than Jesus would have nothing to do with a person like that. I mean, I would not get tired of that after a while. That's not a relationship, friends. That's being used. That's not a relationship. Because we know without these two things, there's no, there's no beauty in this relationship. Without some adoration and thanksgiving... How can you do confession and, and supplication, asking for things? But Jesus isn't a lesser person. And this is powerful, friends. I hope you, need, you get this. We learned last week from Pastor Keith, you don't need to be shy about confession. You don't need to even carry your mess-ups. You can get rid of your mess-ups. You carry them as long as it takes you to get them to Jesus, and you leave them with Jesus. You know, as far as the east is from the west, so my sins are forgiven. If I confess with my mouth, you know, my sins, they're forgiven. So there's, there's this aspect of confession that we can go to God with anything. Because here's the truth. Jesus doesn't need you, pastor. I, in fact, I think it would be really healthy if you turned to someone next to you and said, "Now, don't say to them, Jesus doesn't need you. Say to them, Jesus doesn't need me. Can you do that? Turn to someone next to you and say, Jesus doesn't need me. I'm watching to see that you do this right now. Online, say it out loud. Jesus doesn't need me. Now, this is really powerful. I hope you heard that. Jesus does not need you. Now, don't walk out of here right now because it's important you hear this. If he needed you, he would have been done with you a long time ago. But Jesus doesn't need you because he's not needy. Before you were ever created, before humanity in this world was put into place, Jesus didn't create us out of some need in him, some deficit in him. He had the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God was good. God was good. Jesus didn't need us. And if he did need us, he would leave us. Because you know what? We carry a lot of drama with us. So here's something else you can say to someone else next to you, is Jesus already knew you'd be a little high maintenance. So turn to someone next to you and say, listen, I'm a little high maintenance. Go ahead, get it out, just let it out. I'm a little high maintenance, little high maintenance. And if that person has not said that to you next to you, you you need to say, you know, you are a little high maintenance. You are a little high maintenance. I mean, this is the beautiful thing about God. Jesus didn't need you. He knew you'd be high maintenance. He knew that he'd have to be very patient with you. He even knew you'd have segments of your life that you'd be unfaithful to him. And yet he chose you. And he wants you. And he loves you. Whoa, what kind of relationship is this? Jesus was eyes wide open, walking towards the cross. He knew what he was getting into. Did you ever get into a friendship or a relationship and you didn't quite know what you were getting into? And then you got into it and you're just like, if I had only known that, right? He knew everything. He knew what he was getting into when he offered relationship to you. And he walked without hesitation towards the cross and laid down his life for every one of you. Incredible God. Incredible God. That's why Pastor Keith and I want so desperately for you to grow in prayer so that your relationship can deepen with the firmest foundation you'll ever experience in this life. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. So prayer's all about that relationship. There's a second aspect, and this is what we're going to talk about today. It's also about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And prayer is powerful, and you're going to hear that today. Because God has designed prayer primarily as this relationship tool to grow deep in our relationship with God, with Jesus. But He's also designed it as a tool by which He's chosen to release His power in us and through us through prayer. Through prayer. So if you read the Bible, you notice All the stuff that happens in the Bible is done through relationships. It's filled with relational language in the Bible. Pretty interesting. So this is really important you catch this. So you'll see in the very beginning, God creates the earth. And who creates it? Well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all there in the creation narrative. They're working together in relationship. You'll notice this as we learned in week two, as Pastor Keith was talking to us, that we can call him Father. Father. Relational language, why? Because we have been adopted into his family. He calls the church in the New Testament, the bride of Christ. He likens himself to being like a husband and the church like being a bride, that intimate relationship with him. That's how he, it's characterized in scripture. Throughout the Bible, it's heavy on relational language because God chooses to work through relationships. Side note, that's why it matters so much how we treat each other. That's why so much of the Bible is committed to helping us build better relationships with each other, because God inhabits relationships. So it shouldn't surprise us that God chooses to use the body of Christ to be an agent of change in this world, to restore his creation. It shouldn't surprise us at all. It's not, you know, this last week, and this is a tough note, but... Probably all of you got the same alert I did. And you know, they're looking for a little girl, 11 years old. And then it's followed up quickly with something like they found her. Okay, good. I can sleep tonight. I woke up the next day, and my wife, Shelly, comes in and says, ah, that girl, she's, they found her. They found her dead on her birthday by her father. I don't know how you felt. I know how I felt in that moment, angry. This is not the way it's supposed to be, friends. This is not the way God designed his earth to operate. And this came out of my mouth. Shelley will corroborate my story. This came just flowing out of my mouth before I could stop it. I just said, you know, Shelley, that's why we can't fail as a church to impact this city. This is why we can't have church just for Christian people. This is why we can't have it just about our own needs. The stakes are way too high. The responsibility too deep, too strong. The pain so great in our city. No, 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 no. We need to be a community of people partnering with God to change this world. That needs to be our mission. That's what we're about. Because, friends, you know, who can change the heart, the twisted heart of a man? Who can heal the grief, the deep grief of a woman? Who can provide safety and healing for someone who's been abused and used and broken in this world? Here's the fact, friends. Take it to the bank. Fact. Jesus can change anybody. Fact. Jesus loves anybody. Everybody, everybody. And friends, we get to partner, and he chose to partner with you. Those of you who are his followers, to release his power through prayer. Otherwise, friends, a grandmother would feel helpless. What what does a grandmother do with her grandchildren growing up in this world? And the world promises all of this freedom, and then it enslaves them. Or a father, what's a father to do when an adult son has made some really poor choices in life and, and, they're, and they're victim to that or, or, or they're wandering away from faith? How does a friend carry a friend who has terminal cancer? How does a spouse carry another spouse who's forgotten who they even are? How does a church stand in the gap for a city? Prayer, effective and powerful prayer changes things. And friends, one of the marks of maturity is not just thanksgiving, it's that we no longer just pray for ourselves. We begin to pray for others. Jesus' half brother, James, he led the first century church. He said this command He said, Pray for each other. Pray for each other. There's something about us when we begin to move our eyes beyond our need to the needs of others. It changes things in the spiritual realm. And Pastor Keith will get a little into this next week. But friends, here's the problem with you and I, and I say this benevolently, like, I mean, it's me too. When, When we talk about praying for others, which we're talking about today, there's a part of us that pushes back and says, Jonathan, if you only knew the need I have, You don't understand. I can't pray for others. I'm bleeding here. I have so many needs. I feel you. I totally get it. There's this guy in the Old Testament, and this is a beautiful thing about the Bible. You should really read it. It's amazing. There's a guy in the Old Testament named Job, or you might call him Job, but his name is Job. And in this 42nd chapter, the beautiful book, and it's the earliest written book in the Bible. So Job was written. It's an ancient, ancient document. And, this, and it's written, it chronicles the life of a man who had everything. Esteem, riches, he, I mean, he just had everything. And it chronicles him losing everything. And he's at his lowest point in the 42nd chapter. I mean, he's lost everything. He's lost his reputation, he's lost his health, he's lost family, he's lost riches. He has nothing. His friends are cursing him. And in the 42nd chapter, something amazing happens. Job doesn't pray for him. He begins to pray for his friends. And you know what happens in the very same verse that he begins to pray for his friends? It says, and God gave back Job everything he lost. Now, are you saying, Pastor Jonathan, if I pray for others, I'm gonna get everything I want? (laughs) Easy, cowboy. (laughs) No, 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 but I am saying this. That when you begin to pray for others, it unlocks things in you that might be being held back right now. Because no longer is this a self-serving thing. We're in a self-serving culture, but prayer is not a self-serving tool. Prayer is a relationship tool. We're building our relationship into God, but we're also serving others. We're also serving others. We're praying for one another. That's because Christ called us to. So here's the question we're going to answer today. How can my prayers change someone else's life? How can my prayers actually change someone else's life? See, I think some of us don't pray personally for ourselves or even for others because we have prayed for others and nothing changed. Consequently, we begin to, we don't go to prayer. There's no faith rising. There's no expectation that God is going to be answering these prayers. I mean, we kind of hope He does. That's why we still come to the front. That's why we still ask people to pray. Because almost like the lottery. We're just hoping this time maybe. But we don't really have that strong expectation that God might be up to something and God could change things. So the question is, is what Jesus described as prayer, He said it was Powerful. It could move mountains was he right you know because sometimes it's difficult to believe that in order to understand why maybe perhaps sometimes we grow weary in praying or because maybe to understand a little bit of how powerful your prayers are and perhaps maybe why some prayers aren't always answered we need to understand two things. And the first one has to do with the fact that every one of us online and in this room, we're all motivationally challenged. We have motive challenges. Uh, In fact, I I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, maybe I would suspect that sometimes we even pray for things with hidden agendas and hidden motives, just like this couple did. Hey honey, can you pray tonight? Yeah, sure. Father, we just thank you for today. Thank you for the money to uh, purchase this meal. And Lord, please help Beth stop spending so much money at the mall and buying so many things. In your name we pray. Amen. Lord, thank you for providing for this meal. And speaking of needs, I need you to help Bart find appropriate clothing for special occasions. Amen. Oh, Father, thank you for never changing. Please help Bethany to learn the right way versus the wrong way to empty the toothpaste out of the tube. Lord, change her. Amen. Yes, Lord, change is good. We all need change. Lord, please help Bart get off the couch and into the gym. Amen. Oh, Lord, thank you for Bethany. She's a great help mate. Emphasis on help. Change the way you pray. you should never pray that way. Change the way you pray. Change, selfish prayers are
1: not okay.
0: <laughs> you get it. Motives Batter. Motives matter when we pray. In fact, Jesus Half Brother James he said it this way, and it's pretty startling what he says. He says, when you ask, so when you're praying, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Apparently, motives matter a whole lot when it comes to prayer, not only for others. But even for ourselves, see, God will never give you something that's bad for you. No matter how much you ask, He's not going to give you something that's bad for you. Uh, Are you you okay if I do a little real talk here? (laughs) Everybody gets really quiet. Listen, God loves you too much. He's a good, good father. That's who He is. And he's not going to answer selfish or wrongly motivated prayers that will, in the end, damage you. In fact, here's the truth you can take to the bank. God gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that God knows. God gives you when you come to him. He gives you what you would have asked for if you knew what he knew. He will never give you something that will harm you. Sometimes, friends, we have all kinds of mixed motives uh, it, sometimes it plays out a little differently. Sometimes God, the next one, sometimes God gives us what we are after, even though he won't always give it in the form that we ask for. Uh, so I was thinking about this week. I was thinking about how many times God hasn't given me something, and it was probably good news in the long run. I, I was thinking about, um, I think it's, difficult when you're struggling and you're looking for relationships in life. Maybe you, you love that when Jesus says, ask and you will receive. And so you say, God, I ask, and I know I will receive that beautiful person right over there. And sometimes God loves us so much. He knows that sometimes we want something. And if he ever gave it to us, it would become more important than him. And so he has the pause button on until you deepen your relationship with Christ. Why would he give you something, even a good thing, if it would take you away from Jesus or distract you or cause you to take Jesus from the top shelf now that you got your need meant and you put him down here and put that person up there? See, motives matter a whole lot. See, the Bible says we can make things idols very easily. When anything that's more important than Jesus be, is an idol in our lives, we love it too much. It makes me wonder, I was thinking of this week, I wonder how many prayers God is waiting to answer. He's just waiting on you. Waiting on you to come to a place of depth of maturity in Him that you can handle the answer. Waiting on you to so deepen your relationship with Christ so that when God gives it, you won't be distracted by it. And you know you're at that point when you have something that you treasure, and if God asked for it, you'd give it. That that's when you know it doesn't have the hold on you. God may not ask it of you. He asked Isaac of Abraham, and in the end he didn't require Isaac, but he wanted to know that Abraham was willing. Abraham was willing to let it go. So friends, sometimes we're not relationally dependent enough on him. And we want answers to prayer, but our motives are holding us back. His love is holding us back because he doesn't want even a good thing to become a harmful thing that would take us further from God. So sometimes it's a motive challenge. The other challenge may be why sometimes we stop praying for others or even ourselves and because we, we haven't seen God come through. Sometimes it's a perspective challenge. Sometimes it has a lot to do with perspective. Now, I was thinking this week, how many people golf? It's like... Okay, I, I love golfing people because, like, I golf like, three times, you know, three times in my life. I was going to say a year. No, like, three times in my life. Now, I know that this church historically has been quite a golfing church because I know Pastor Stuart Mulligan, who's here, he was a great golfer, at least that's what he tells me, I think, and, and, and Pastor Keith uh, took golfing lessons when he came to this church because he knew that, that Pastor Mulligan had been a great golfer and... I don't think Pastor Keith still golfs, though. And I've golfed on occasion. Now, I don't understand it fully. Those of you who are advent, go, ad, you know, uh, you're big golfers, I don't understand it fully because I don't understand taking, like, half of a day, spending all that money to put a ball on a cup. So clearly, the nuance of the game is missed on me. But I do understand there's two aspects to the golf game, every golf game. There's the long game and the short game. The long game is you take the driver's, or you take the irons, and you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to drive that ball as straight and accurate and as far as possible. That's the long game. Some golfers make a great living professionally off the long game. Then there's the short game, and the short game happens right around the green where the cup and the, and the ball is. And the short game involves maybe pitching wedge or some of your irons to get it on to the green. But the short game is really going to be with your putter mostly. And some golfers make a living off of the short game. They're really good at it. Here's what you need to understand about God and prayer. God is always going to be more about the long game than the short game. Here's what you need to understand about yourself. You're always going to be more about the short game than the long game. And this is where perspective is so important when it comes to God answering prayer. Now, let me get a little personal here. I'm a parent, uh, like some of you in this room, and I've had seasons in my life as a parent where I felt great measures of anxiety. Because you can't control your kids the older they get, and nor should you try, really. But I've had moments where I'm watching one of them make a a bad decision or some choices in life, and I'm praying for that to change, and I'm in their face, and and there's some anger probably with it, and anxiety, and worry, and I'm concerned for them. And it was in one of those moments I felt like God spoke to me, friends. And it wasn't an audible voice, but I knew it was God. And I felt so challenged. Because it was a a particular season, uh, a a, a particular sun at that time. And and I was worried about choices and decisions in life. And I was letting it rule me. I was losing perspective. And God, God challenged me because I knew in that moment, I was so concerned about the short game. So concerned about the short game. I felt like God said this to me. I felt like, Jonathan... You want him to putt better right now, but what if some short-term pain is exactly what he needs to become more reliant on me? Maybe some of the hardship that his decisions will make right now will wake him up to the truth of me. And I felt this as clear as I felt anything. I am way more concerned with your son's soul and eternity than I am on his light and momentary trouble and hardship. It's the long game, not the short game. But I only see the short game, so I'm worried. You make this bad decision, their low life is going to go aside. And so what do I do? Well, I ratchet up the pressure. That's what I do. A good father does, right? And it's, I'm not saying passively parent or anything like that. I'm just saying that you need to understand when it comes to prayer, God is always concerned about the long game. Now, if those short-term wins help support the long-term win, then God is in on it. If the short-term win would make you less dependent on God, so that somehow you gain the world and lose your soul, then God's not in on that. He won't have anything to do with that. So friends, perspective means a lot to us. See, I love God for many, many reasons, but I love that he knows us and gets us. Paul's talking to a church in Galatia, and he says this. He says, let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued in doing good. Now, if you read the context of this, it's not about prayer, but the church there, the Christians were getting a little fatigued at doing good. Why? Because they're doing good, and they weren't reaping what they were sowing. So they're like, hey, why are we even doing this? Why are we doing these things? We're not seeing a harvest. And, and so Paul says, don't go fatigued in doing good, because at the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. And he's saying to those believers, just as, as, as we need to hear it today, we are so much about the short game. We want to plant a seed one week and we want to harvest the next. We want, we want to plant a seed, whatever it may look like, financial, relational, spiritual, and we want the full harvest the next week. And we don't understand process. We lack perspective. And when you plant the seed, you got to water it. you got to weed it. you got to fertilize it. you got to make sure it gets the sun. You've got to make sure that there's care elements. And then eventually, you harvest from it. And the perspective around prayer is we get so focused on short-term wins that we get discouraged so easily. And it causes us to shut down prayer sometimes prematurely because you know what, God doesn't answer by prayers. Really? What, what, where are you at in that prayer stage? Is, this, is it motivated properly? And then what's your perspective? Oh, oh, you've given God a deadline. Oh, okay, you've got a deadline around this. God doesn't do your deadlines. So, to be honest with you, sometimes I think prayer is the most underutilized, most powerful force in this entire planet. And sometimes I think it's the most self-serving tool that some people use to try to manipulate God. Maybe a little too much real talk. See, here's the thing with prayer: it's difficult to understand, in as much as Jesus will make big claims. Jesus will say things like this: He'll say, "You have not because you ask not." In other words, Jesus is affirming. Do you know how powerful this tool of prayer? Some of you, it, ch- it changes the status quo. And some of us, nothing's changed because we've stopped asking. He says it's so powerful, it can change anything. I can move mountains, he says, through prayer. So it's powerful, and we have not be- because we ask not. But here's the confusing part. In other parts of the Bible, it'll say this. God will give, you, uh, give us anything we ask for. What? Well, what's that last part? I'd like to, I'd love to just, you know, we used to have liquid paper back in the day. You guys have a delete button now, but we didn't have that. Uh, if, if I could just, like, lob off that back part, because I like that front part, God will give me anything I ask for, according to you as well. See, this is powerful. They're not in contrast or in competition, these two values. Here's what the Bible will teach from the beginning to the end when you're studying prayer. Prayer is powerful. It is powerful. It is powerful. It is powerful, powerful. Prayer is powerful. It can change anything. It's that powerful. Your prayers, you think it's other people's prayers, but your prayers have the potential to change history to change other people, even to change you. But here's the second truth. Our prayers have a safety valve on them. Have you ever noticed everything dangerous in this life has a safety? So if there's pressure in something, there's usually a safety valve so it doesn't explode. You get a pressure cooker, there's something on top of it that makes sure it doesn't get too much pressure and explodes on a gun. There's a safety on the trigger because it's so powerful and so dangerous. And God is saying to you, saying to me, Jonathan, prayer is so powerful it could be dangerous. That powerful. So I put on a safety on prayer that if you ask for something that's not according to my will, I'm not going to let you do that to yourself. I'm not going to let you do that to other people. It's that powerful and potentially destructive. Many of you have lived long enough, as I have, to look back over my shoulder and say, thank God he didn't answer that prayer. Thank God he didn't give me what I thought I needed when I wanted it. Usually it's not what I need. It's usually what I want. Thank God he didn't give it to me. Because now in hindsight, I see God's purposes. He was always playing the long game with me, not the short game, not the short game. See, a lot of us would be in a lot of trouble. So, on one hand, God is waiting for you to just pray. Go ahead and ask anything in His name. And one hand, He's saying that. And then on the other hand, He's saying, And don't worry, I've got a safety on your prayers. I won't let you screw up this world, I won't let you screw up your life. I'm not going to give you anything that would hurt or harm you. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is, He gives you examples. So, there's this man in the New Testament named John the Baptist. He was the uh, forerunner to Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist gets imprisoned for declaring there's a new kingdom, that Jesus had come. And he gets imprisoned by a, a Middle Eastern despot named Herod. And his followers are praying, God, deliver John. Deliver John. And if you know the story, John's beheaded. Then a few books later, the apostle Peter finds himself in prison And a group of believers are saying, God, deliver Peter, get him out of prison. You know what happens? At midnight, an angel of the Lord shows up in that prison, wakes Peter up and says, Pete, get out. Uh, Don't worry, I've opened all the doors. And if you know the story, it's kind of funny. He goes to the church, the group of people that are praying for him, he knocks on the door, and the young woman who answers the door looks and it's Peter, she can't believe and so she shuts the door, runs back and says, I think that's Peter outside. Well, you better let him in. How'd you get here, Peter? Guess you prayed. On one hand, there's angels. On the other hand, nothing. What about the crucifixion? Mary, Jesus' followers. God, don't let him die. Don't let him die. They know They have the right perspective. They know that he can do so much good in this world. All he did was bring good. All he did was heal people, raise them from the dead, teach them, love them, care for them, notice them. Look at all the good he could do. Don't let him die. But if Mary knew what God knew, she would have prayed what God would have prayed. See, she lost in the short game a son. And I can't imagine How painful that would have been. What she didn't know is she was gaining a savior. Not just her. The entire history of humanity was gaining a savior. See, friends, perspective matters. Perspective matters when we pray. Because God is about the long game, not the short game. Here's the truth that I have found true in my life, and you know, friends, you can dial in on YouTube or anywhere you want and find a preacher who'll tell you you'll get whatever you ask, and they'll teach you to manipulate God. Don't worry about your motives. Give more money so you can get more money, and Jesus would say, "Don't bother giving if you can't give cheerfully out of relationship." If you can't give because you love me and you want to help others love and you want to do that out of obedience and relationship, you don't need to do it then. Don't do it. But you can find people that will tell you this, but this is real talk from the scripture. And here's here's the truth that you'll see over and over in your life as you journey with God. You either get what you pray for or you get something better. You get something better. Even though in the short term, it could look a whole lot worse. Mary got something better than she could have ever imagined. But in the short term, it looked worse than she imagined. In the short term, it even looked like, a bit like a nightmare. But God had something bigger at play, something grander at play, something much more important at play. Many of us suffer because we have a motive challenge or a perspective challenge or both. So here's how I'm going to end. Uh, Jesus prayed. And I want you to see how God answered his prayer. And I want you to see yourself in the person of Jesus. In John chapter 17, it's a really intimate moment. He prays for his disciples, and then he prays for every one of you in this room and online. Very interesting what he prays. He says this in John chapter 17. He says this. Holy Father, he's praying to his Father before he's crucified and ascends to heaven. He says, can you say it with me? Protect them. Protect them by the power of your name. While I was with them... I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. So Jesus is petitioning God; he's in this relationship with God the Father. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supply, and here, here in this moment, he asks God, God, and it's his father. He knows him intimately. God protect them. Did God? Peter was crucified. Stephen was stoned. John was isolated on the Isle of Patmos and died in isolation. But he did protect them. God had them stand before the authorities and powers of the world at that time without fear and declared the good news of Jesus Christ, that he had died and death could not hold him, that he had risen again, and he was a savior for all humanity. God protected them as they went out into the then known world, and he declared that the good news was not just for Jewish people, it was for Gentiles too, that everyone could share in this, because Jesus can change anybody, and Jesus loves everybody. And they did this fearlessly. And then when their lives were done in this world, they were not done because God protected them right into eternity with God. Because God has a long play plan and he is not willing to sacrifice the short game for the long game, friends. And so yes, he did answer them. Not the way we might think though. The beautiful thing is Jesus doesn't stop praying there. He actually prays for you. It's interesting, it says this in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And he says this. Father, I want those right in this room, right online. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Here's the truth, friends. If you're in a relationship with Jesus you're richer than you could ever imagine. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, you're more secure than you could ever know. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, you could be fully yourself with him because he already knows everything about you. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, you already know no one can kill you. Someone may take your temporal body, but to be absent from the the body is to be present with the Lord. And the end game, the long game, is that we would be with Jesus, sharing in his glory forever and ever. Here's the truth about prayer. And in a moment, Margaret's going to come out, and I invite her to even begin to get ready. And she's going to sing a song that we sang earlier, but we're just going to let her sing it because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to be speaking to some of you. And at the end of our gathering, our prayer team and elders and pastors are going to be at the front here. But here's what I don't want you to do today. I don't want you to come for your needs. If you have deep needs here today, then I invite you to go to our prayer room. If you exit here and go down to the left, past the cafe, there'll be people there ready to greet you and pray with you. But I'm gonna believe the Holy Spirit is gonna put others on your mind and heart today. And some of you, you are gonna come to the front to find a point of agreement and faith and expect that people's situations and lives are going to change because you prayed. I like what G.K. Chesterton says. He says this, we are taller when we kneel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus. God, half the time, we don't even really know what we need. We think we do. But we recognize that you, the Creator, you know exactly what we need. And so in this moment, God, we bring the needs of others before you. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would lay on the hearts and minds of everyone in this room and online someone. Very specific. Might be someone they're related to, might be someone they work with, go to school with, might be a neighbor. But God, would you lay someone on their heart? And God, we know that part of the maturation process is we begin to intercede for others. So Holy Spirit, we're going to allow you to speak to us in this moment so that when we pray for this other, we'll know what to pray. So Holy Spirit, guide our thoughts right now. Identify someone and then help us understand what you want in their lives in Jesus name amen make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast all creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the one church creative team